All right, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter, or First Thessalonians chapter two. We started last week um, talking about this church and Paul and Silas planted on their missionary journey in Acts seventeen. We talked about we talked about not underestimating, right? Like there are there are things in the, the gospel that we need to not underestimate. We talked about don't underestimate the power of the word. Don't underestimate uh, the power of suffering, and don't underestimate the power of the spirit. Right? Uh, we talked about that. Paul continues in his letter in chapter two in Thessalonians, and and he talks about priorities. Right? What he's going to do is he's going to give us a clue as to the priorities that are necessary in being effective in the mission. You know, I don't know about you, but you know, my dad was the kind of person that he would always remind me and you need to keep your priorities straight, right? Like priorities matter. I'm not a, I'm not a, a big to-do list kind of guy, but if you go on Amazon and you look for like day planners, how many of you own a day planner? All right. How many of you have calendars on your phone that you look at? How many of you set daily reminders, right? And how many of you have notifications sent to yourself on your phone, right? Like we do that because there are certain things that we want to make a priority in our life, right? And as as you get older, at least it seems like you need more notifications so that you don't forget these things because they're priorities, right? And even then, sometimes even with notifications, you forget stuff, right? But there are just certain things that are priorities. Like in this, so this is something I've never understood, right? So I won't, I won't tell you who because she's watching and she might be offended and then she'll be unpleasant when I get home, but I won't mention her name. Okay. (laughs) But she was at work the other day and, and I said, how was work? And she said, it was good. I was busy. Great. And she said, she said, I was so busy. I forgot to eat. Really? All right. See, I, I, listen, I don't mind work. Matter of fact, I like work, but food trumps work every time. Who's with me? Right? Like I, I might choose not to eat, but to forget to eat right over my head. Like that makes no sense to me. That's like saying, yeah, I, I forgot to sleep. Like food's right up there. Like, I just think there are certain things that are priorities that no matter what, if you keep them in the right space or the right place, you'll never forget them. And listen, it is complicated in our world to keep our priorities straight. Someone said, you know, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the, the main thing. Anybody here struggle with that? Right? Like it's a complicated thing to do. So Paul's going to give us some ideas of what we need to make as priorities, because let's be honest, there's a lot of things about about this church that I, that I love. There's some things about this church because there are people in line here that make, make things complicated. Everybody agree with that? Right. But here's the thing I love most about our church that in the midst of what's going on, and man, there has been a lot going on in our world for the last year and a half. Right. I mean, a lot of crazy, hard, difficult stuff, right? Here's the thing I love most about our church is in the midst of that, no matter what 
personal feelings there were in the leaders of this church, no matter what opinions they might have had and no matter what we might have talked about in the process of a private gathering in a room, isolated from other people, when the doors opened and the leaders of this church led, they stayed focused on the only thing that matters to the church, and that's telling people about Jesus Christ, right? That's what I love most about our church, right? Because listen, it wasn't an easy task. And I told the elders that tonight. It wasn't an easy task with all the conversation that was happening and all the side conversations were happening and all the pressures. Why we're not talking about this and why we're not talking about this and why we're not talking about this. Let's be clear, church. Let's be clear online. Let's be clear, students. The only thing that matters to us is making sure that we present the gospel so well that it makes it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Can I get an amen, right? And listen, I'm not so dumb that I think that some of the stuff that we're dealing with in the world isn't connected to something like we're all connected to, to Kevin Bacon by six degrees, right? Like, I don't think that some of these things are completely disconnected. But listen, let's be honest. The minute the church gets misaligned with the mission and other things become a priority it's absolutely impossible to keep the main thing the main thing right listen the reason why we want to stay focused on what the mission of the church is is because there's a lot of messages going out in the world today and after we went through what we went through last year after we have dealt with what we've been, and what we're currently dealing with today, there is so much noise and so much conversation. And that's just at a high level. Students deal with this stuff all the time with all the conversations that are happening at your level, on your phones, on Instagram, right? On Twitter, whatever social media you're using. Some which I'm sure that you use that your parents don't know about, but that's okay. We'll keep it between us, right? Um, like there's so much noise and confusion. Listen, it's easy it's easy to get sidetracked. Would you agree with that? Listen, if we're going to be effective in the mission, which is very simple, we're going to present the gospel so it's hard for people to go to hell. That's what we're going to care about. It's the thing I love most about our church. It's the thing I admire most about our leaders, that in the midst of what we're seeing happen at all kinds of churches, all kinds of student ministries <coughs> across the globe and across this great country, here's what we're saying. People who are finding it hard to maintain priorities and their message is changing. Paul clearly communicates to us in a good church what's a good message and how we keep it a priority. So if you guys will stand, we're going to read a few verses here in Second, First Thessalonians chapter 2. And then we're just going to pull out some of these priorities. And again, we're going to be out of here by 7.30. All right, here we go. First Thessalonians 2.1. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered, had been insulted in Philippi, and that's an understatement. Right. If you go back and read what happened in Acts 16 and actually study what Paul endured at the hands of the Jews in Philippi, it's a lot more than just being suffered and insulted. Right. As you know, he says, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved or tested by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, and not from you or anyone else. 
As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we're gentle among you, like a mother who cares for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so very dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. You guys can be seated. So let's talk about the priorities of a good church. Let's talk about the priorities of staying on mission. Because listen, in a world where there's so much noise, and it's not just the noise, right? It's the access to noise, right? The great thing about your phone is that you are never uninformed, right? The problem with your phone is that it never shuts up, right? It's constantly communicating, whether it's a viral video, whether it's a TikTok video, whether it's a notification, whether it's a Twitter feed, whatever. This thing never shuts up. And here's the thing. The message often is in conflict with the priorities of our mission. So how do we keep these priorities? And here they are. Let's go through these priorities. The first one is speak the gospel. Everybody say that with me. Everybody online say it. Speak Right? Speak the gospel. It seems pretty simple. It certainly isn't as simple as that. Now listen, I could spend the entire time here. We could spend a lot more than the, the, the 28, 29 minutes I've got left in just this spot. Right? But I just want to pick out one phrase that Paul uses here. And I just want to share it with you. In, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says this in verse 2. You got verse 2 up there? He said, we had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know. He goes on to say, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of what? Come on, say it with me, students. Strong opposition, conflict. The Greek word for that word is agon. It's where we get our word agony from, right? And the metaphor is that it's representative of an athletic field where serious, heated competition goes on, right? So here's the thing I want us to be aware of. That when it comes to staying on mission, if it comes to you and I staying on mission, the number one priority is we have to speak the gospel, Right? Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who what? To everyone who believes. Right? That's the, listen, there's nothing the church possesses that's more important. We've got, we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment in a multi-million dollar facility, and the most important thing we possess is the gospel. Can I get an amen? Because it's the only thing that can save. And here's what Paul says. We spoke that to you. And we spoke it in strong opposition. In agon. Right? In agony. Why? Because we were inside the arena. We were inside the fight. We're in the place where when the gospel is preached, there is immediate conflict from an adversary. 
right? Listen to these verses. This is in Matthew 13. Jesus is telling a parable of a guy who sows seed, right? He told them many things in parables, a story to prove a point, right? To, to teach a greater truth. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path or the, the hard road, and the birds came and they ate it up. Right? So you get the picture. He explains the parable, and here's what he says in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, he says, the farmer sows the word. So the seed is the word. He says, some people are like the seed along the path where the word or the gospel is sown. As soon as they hear it, who shows up? Come on, say it. The minute the gospel is presented, church, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Listen, if you think that talking about Jesus and talking about the power of the gospel isn't immediately inviting an adversarial relationship with this fellow right here, you're mistaken. Everything we do to share the gospel, listen, it acknowledges our willingness to be in the arena. Listen, I grew up playing sports. I love sports. It's the thing, outside of food, it's the thing I love most about being on this planet. Not, I mean, my family first, sorry. Excuse me, forgive me, right? A family, food, and then sports, right? But I love sports. And, and I had to give up playing my favorite sport, which was basketball. And here's what I miss most about basketball. I miss, I miss the thrill of beating somebody. I miss, listen, there's a lot of things about basketball I don't miss. What I miss most is standing across the court from somebody and my sole desire was to make sure they went home a loser, right? Like that's, I wanted them to ride the bus home and just cry. Like, like I wanted them, I wanted to go to their gym on their homecoming night and I wanted to make sure that their date stunk because they were so unhappy, right? Like I miss, like I miss the thrill of competition. Here's the thing about the gospel. There's absolutely no way to speak the gospel without immediately engaging in that kind of fight. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The gospel comes to bring life and freedom. What do you think happens to a church or to a father or to a mother or to a student who decides to share the gospel with a friend or a relative? What do you think happens? I can tell you what happens. You've decided to put on a uniform and go to battle against an enemy. And it's agon. It's agony. It's hard. It's full of conflict and strong opposition. Listen, we say it all the time. Being a Christian is not for weak people. This is a hard thing you do, right? And the enemy's desire is to pluck that gospel away the minute you sow it. Listen, and when you're part of a church like Tomoka that is on the front lines of every tragedy in the world, of every situation to share the gospel, you can bet this church is in constant conflict with the enemy. It con and here's the thing. If you're that kind of person, you're going to be in conflict with the enemy because it's agon. It's in... It's, it's incredibly difficult. There's a fight going on. You're in the arena, right? I can't replace the thrill of being in the physical arena of basketball. But man, I feel it like I've never felt in my life before being at Tomoka that I'm in the arena. 
I mean, I knew about the arena when I wasn't here. I talked about the arena as if I'd been in it. But being here for the last 12 years, I've never felt more connected to the spiritual fight that exists in our world as I do at Tomoka. And listen, if you're going to be effective with your friends, if you're going to be effective with your children or your grandchildren, if you're just going to be effective wherever you talk about Jesus, man, listen to this. You've got to speak the gospel. And you've got to realize that when you do, you've entered not into a friendly negotiation. You're not there to barter. You're not there for give and take. You're there for winner take all. We're not joking in that mess. And Paul said, we didn't hesitate. No matter what, we didn't hesitate to speak the gospel to you. Listen to 2 Timothy 4.3, and this is what's happening in our church culture. Listen, I got no time for this, but I'm saying it anyway, right? Listen, Romans 8 makes it clear. You can look this up. Joe says this all the time, right? Don't trust the preacher. Makes all of us pastors on staff a little bit nervous, right? Like, like... But, but he's right. Don't trust us as if what we're saying is the gospel. Use the word to validate or invalidate what we say. Here's what Romans 8 says. If you don't possess the spirit, you don't belong to God. Can I get an amen? amen. The Bible is clear how we possess the spirit. The Bible makes it clear. It's not some difficult thing to figure out. The Bible is clear how you possess the spirit. You, through the conviction of the spirit... Confess your sins, repent, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and surrender to Him to baptism. Bam, the Holy Spirit's present in your life. Here's what the Bible says. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to God. And if you don't belong to God because you don't have the Spirit, guess what you feel about the things of God? You hate them. As a matter of fact, you have no interest in doing them, and you're never going to even try to do so. Right? So listen, the problem that we're having with the Word of God has never been in the world. The world's always rejected God who doesn't have the Spirit. The problem is we're living in a world today where Christians are rejecting the Word of God. And when the church begins to reject the Word of God as individuals, we've got no shot at ever seeing people say. Listen to what Timothy said hundreds, thousands, over 2,000 years ago. Look what he said. In the presence of God, or Paul said to Timothy... In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. You're not to be judging people. Can I get an amen? God will judge who? The living and the dead. You're not a judge. So stop it. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) It's like I'm talking to my kids at home. Nobody's saying anything, right? And then, listen to this, he'll judge the living dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, here's what Paul says, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Whose word? Not your word. Not my word. Preach God's word. Be prepared. Be prepared. You should look up that word in the Greek. Right? There's too many people who are speaking the word of God who've got no business speaking it. Right? They're not prepared. He says, be prepared in season and out of season. That doesn't mean in fall and spring and winter and summer, right? That just means in seasons of people's lives in different places. Doesn't matter if it's a good season or a bad season. If it's a season of rain or it's a season of drought, be prepared to share the word, right? Listen to this. He says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because a time's going to come when men, 
mankind will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. He goes on to say, they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. Keep that right there. Don't, don't lose that, right? Listen, we're living in a world today where churches, Joe's not the only one. He and I watch messages from churches all the time. And our churches are struggling to hold the sound doctrine. Just listen to some of these guys. I listened to a well-known preacher in Atlanta. And it's not Andy Stanley. I listened to a well-known preacher in Andy Stanley. It wasn't Andy Stanley, I promise, right? I listened to a well-known preacher in Atlanta who taught that Jesus never taught us to be born again. And this is a guy whose books I've read, who Joseph's read. He taught that Jesus never taught to be born again. Jesus only said it one time in John chapter 3. And he wasn't talking about becoming a Christian. He was talking about becoming a citizen of Rome. And I'm like, all right. We, we've got, listen. It is easy in conflict to surrender. It is easy to not put up a fight. It is easy to go with the flow. To give people what they want. Here's the problem with the gospel. It doesn't play nice with the enemy. It never was intended to. But if the people who are in charge of the gospel hold it so loosely that we'd rather sacrifice sound doctrine for our itching ears, we're in trouble. You can criticize the world all you want, but I hate to tell you this, the world's doing exactly what the Bible told us it would do, and that's ignore God. The problem is we've got no shot to reach the world if the people who follow God start refusing to follow him. Right? We've got a book that tells us God's desire and His will and His standards. But when the church compromises the truth, our criticism of the world is pointless. We've got to hold on to sound doctrine. And speaking the truth or speaking the gospel sounds simple. Problem is, it's not. Because most of us like peace and comfort and safety. When you share the gospel, you throw yourself into the arena of agony, of a fight. And it's not with your neighbor. It's not with your teacher. It's not with the school board superintendent. It's not with a politician. You know who your fight's with? The enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy your child and your grandchild and your friend's students. Satan ain't playing around. And the gospel is the most important thing you possess when it comes to people's eternity. It's not this church. The most important thing you possess is the gospel. Speak it, but understand the arena in which you're going to stand in. Can I get an Amen. How about this one? Share your life. Share your life, right? Paul says in verse 7, check this out. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share. Everybody say the word share. Share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That Greek, that word in the Greek, the Greek that word in the Greek, make that verse back up in verse 7. He says share, that word in the Greek is the idea of imparting. And so here's the deal. If I walked up to you and gave you $20, right? Part of my giving it to you conveys a transfer of ownership. Would you agree with that? Like if I give you 20 bucks, the minute I give it to you, I've relinquished my ownership of it and have transferred that ownership to you. Make sense? Yes or no? 
That's the Greek word that Paul uses here. Paul says, we didn't just give you the gospel. Listen, the most important thing the church possesses is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen or not? It is the most important thing we possess. But Paul says this, that the gospel also should come with something else. And that's you. You want to know how to make You want to know how to make your friends believe in Jesus? You want to know, parents, how to make your children believe in Jesus and your students? Grandparents, you want to know how to make your grandkids believe in it? You want to know how your friends believe in it? You don't just give them words. You give them something else, and that's you. Paul said, we imparted our lives to you. Check this out. I gave myself over to you in Thessalonica like you would have given me $20. I tran- Listen to this. I transferred my ownership of my rights and my desires to you because I loved you that much. You see, part of the reason why the gospel is so hard to believe isn't because it's not true and isn't because it doesn't work. It's because the people who are giving it are simply giving it as a bill of sale and they're not giving themselves as well. Let me give you an example. Let me show you this in scripture. I'm going to just give you a couple of places where this is, where this is used. And I'm going to give you a story. Luke chapter three, Luke chapter three, verses seven, 11, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we've Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. He says, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down into the fire. What should the crowd then says, right? Paul, John says to him, listen, don't be coming out here faking it, right? If you want, if you want this, show something to prove it. They said, what do you want us to do then? Here's John's answer. The man with two tunics should share. I say the word share. Share with him who has what? None. And the one who has food should do the same. You want to know how to produce fruits of repentance in your life? Learn to impart. Exchange ownership. How many of you got, how many of you got two of something that you only need one of? You know what he says to do? Give the other one away. He said, how many of you got more food in your house than you, than you can eat tonight? Give some of it away to people who don't have it. You want to know why? Because that's what validates the message of the gospel. Listen, you can't validate the message of the gospel if you don't have anything to back it up. Right? I can claim all I want that I'm a Bears fan. But if I don't wear a Bears jersey and a Bears hat and scream and yell at the TV when they're playing poorly, I'm not a Bears fan. I'm just a poser, right? Listen, there are people in here and people online that love Jesus, want the gospel to do what it says it will do for their children, their students, their friends and their families, but they don't want to impart anything. They don't want to give it up. Listen, this was said years ago, right? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I know it was trite back in the 80s when I heard it. But if it's true, it's true. Listen, ain't nobody going to come to Jesus because you said something right. You know how they're going to come to Jesus? Because something you said got validated by something you did. Right? Paul says this in Galatians 2.20. I don't have the verse there, but Paul says this. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. 
He said, it's no longer cord that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, that's how you keep the mission and the priority straight. You've got to share your own life. Listen to this one in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says it this way. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Don't lie. Speak truthfully to his neighbor. Right? Students, don't speak falsehood. Speak truthfully to your friends and neighbors. Right? For we are all members of one body. Right? You're not in a fight with each other. We're not in a fight with each other. We're all in this together. Can I get an amen? Amen. So he says, in your anger, in your anger, is it possible to be a Christian and be angry? Yes or no? Of course it is. But in your anger, don't what? And here's why. Because Proverbs tells us where anger is at, every evil thing lurches. You want to know the gateway sin of a human being? Anger. Anger. So he says, don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. We always act like that means we got to keep somebody up till four in the morning to make sure things are right. That's the dumbest interpretation of that scripture I've ever heard. He said, your anger is your problem. Don't sin in it. Work it out so you don't have it when you go to bed. That doesn't mean you've got to drag somebody else into your conversation and go, you're going to listen to me till four in the morning. That's not a practical application of scripture. He says, and listen to this, don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands. Why? That they may have something to what? Share with him, with those who are in need. It's the same Greek word. It means something of yours. That you impart ownership to somebody else. Listen, the most, the most valued, I said this last week, don't underestimate the value of a life well lived. Man, it's great to be able to quote scripture. It's great to be able to point your finger. It is so good to be right verbally. Can I get an amen? Right? But you want to validate what you say? Share your life with somebody. Here's what, here's what happened in Luke chapter 10, right? Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, right? Guy's on the road. It's a really difficult road. He gets beaten and robbed and left for dead, right? Here comes the religious people, right? Jesus is telling the story and he over-dramatizes it for effect, right? He tells the story. The guy's in the ditch and he's dying and he's beat up and he's robbed. And here goes the priest, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, does nothing. The Levite goes by. Da, 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 and does nothing, right? And here comes the worthless, low-class, selfish, right, Samaritan. And listen to what the Bible says he does. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the beaten, robbed, and left for dead man was. And when he saw him, everybody read this with me, everybody online read it. He took what? That means he had compassion on him. And look what his compassion led him to do. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, right, to disinfect. And then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out money, his own money, gave that money to the innkeeper and then said, look after this guy. And when I get back, whatever else is on the bill, he said, I'm going to reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You want to know how to share your life with somebody? Get off your horse and get in the ditch. Ain't nobody coming to Jesus because you have a high horse. Nobody. You want to know how to be effective? 
with your friends, get in the ditch. Right? Church, you want to know how to be effective? Go to Africa. Go to Namibia. And go spend a week at one of our care centers there in Christ Hope. And get in the dirt and play with these kids whose lives have been unbelievably affected by AIDS. And them themselves being a carrier of the HIV, HIV virus. Go to the slum in Guatemala City in Santa Faz. And deal with the fear and the anxiety that these families and children deal with. And serve there for a week. Right? Go to Ninos and go to the orphanages where there's over 10 million orphans in and around Mexico City. And get The reason why we want you to go and to serve is to get into children's ministry and get on your hands and knees. Is because you can't make the gospel effective if you don't share your life as well. Listen, listen there's, there's, no, there's no group that does this better in our church than adults who want to partner with students. Can we just give a round of applause for our youth partners who are doing a fast... Come on, students. Come on, students. Let's hear it, right? Listen, I, I don't know what, what struggles you think students have, but they got a lot of them. And it takes a lot of work in a ditch to help a student find hope in this world. You can't do it standing outside just spewing words. You want to make a difference in children's lives? Go serve in children's ministry. Get in the ditch. Hear the stories of six-year-olds whose parents abused them, whose uncle abused them. You want to make a difference? Don't sit here and complain that children... Get in there. You want to see students follow Jesus? Get out there. Go serve in the food hall, right? Go have a conversation with a teen who's crying because they don't want to go home. Or crying because their parents just got divorced. Right? You want to make a difference around the world? Get on a mission trip. Go serve in Anchor Ridge. Go do something. But here's the thing. Don't stand outside and throw rocks at those who do. Get in the middle of it and do it. Because when you share your life, it matters. Listen, if you want the priorities to stay, you've got to speak the gospel. Can I get an amen? Listen, you're in the arena. It's the arena of agony. It's a fight. Right? You've got to share your life too. But lastly, you've got to do this. You gotta settle, you gotta settle lightly. You gotta settle lightly. We live in an apartment. It was supposed to be short term. It's turned into a little bit longer. There are three floors in our apartment. Now this place advertises itself as luxury living. It's got a wonderful pool. It's got a great workout room and a clubhouse. Right? Apartment's nice. We live in the middle floor. Floor one, floor two, floor three. We have college kids who live above us. I have now emailed the apartment manager 11 times about a noise complaint. And listen, I'm a late night person. I'm not an early to bed, early to rise kind of person. I'm the kind of person that likes to see what the world's like at two in the morning. So I don't have a problem with people who like to stay up late, but I do have a problem with people at two in the morning, dropping things on the floor, tromping across the floor, sprinting across the floor at two in the morning. Those people upstairs have no idea how to settle lightly. We ask the people who live below us, I'm six foot four and I weigh 200 and pounds, right? I am not a small human being. 
We have a two and a half year old toddler who loves to run and scream. We ask the people below us. We apologize to them. And they said, what do you apologize for? I said, well, we, we've got to be making a lot of noise. You know what they said to us? We never hear you. People above us, last night, I sent three emails. Three. And the third one I sent because I got woke up at three in the morning because I, honest to God, thought a gun went off upstairs. That's how loud it is, right? There's no settling lightly. He uses the word burden. Listen to this word, right? In verse 9 through 12. He says, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day. Listen to what Paul did. We work night and day in order not to be a what? Everybody say it. Not to be a burden. That means, the, the Greek means to be heavy upon, right? To be weighty, right? You ever have a friend that you went, man, they are a load. Anybody ever say that, right? How many of you have ever said that about your, uh, about your spouse? ha. <laughs> I was just hoping we'd get some counseling appointments out of this, right? He said, we work night and day in order to not be a burden. We, oh, listen to what he said. We work night and day so that we would settle lightly around you people. We didn't want to be heavy upon you. So what? To anyone while we what? Preach the God. Listen. You know, I could get completely lost in this point and we could just forget parents and we could be here forever. But let me just say this. Our mission is to get people converted to Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. My, my friend said this, and I told him I would quote him because it was easily the smartest thing he's ever said. He said, our job is to see that people are converted to Christ, not converted to me. Not converted to me. Listen. Part of the reason why the church is struggling today isn't because of the enemy. Enemy's always been present. The gospel's always grown. The reason why the church is struggling and the gospel's struggling is because we're spending way too much time not settling lightly. I mean, listen, get on the internet and pick a fight. Pick a topic. Pick any topic you want. Mask, COVID, vaccine, Trump, Biden, Racial reconciliation, the new abortion law in Texas, pick something. And guess what? You can fight, right? And guess what? You can wave your Bible around and you can thump and you can make sure that you don't settle lightly. Here's what Paul said. We did whatever we could do to make sure that we weren't a burden to you while we preached the gospel. Why? Man, I hate this thing. We made sure that we didn't do anything that made it hard for you to believe in Jesus. Listen, are there some things in the world that, that are worthy of a discussion? Yeah. Do some of you have some really strong opinions? Yeah. Have some of you used the Bible to try to weigh it down for people? Sure. But you want to know something? Ain't none of those topics going to save a soul. You know what will? Jesus. You want to know what will save you from COVID? Jesus. You want to know what will save you from the vaccine? Jesus. You want to know what will save you from a political party that you don't like? Jesus. You want to know what will save you from anything you're struggling with? It's Jesus. 
The minute, listen, the minute our conversation turns to something other than Jesus, we've become a burden to the people around us that we want to preach the gospel to. Jesus, this, this is crazy. Jesus lived under the regime of the Roman Empire, the most oppressive empire in the history of the world. And do you know how much time Jesus spoke against them in Scripture? Just guess. Everybody say zero. How does the Savior of the world, who's a Jew, who lives under the oppression of the Roman government, keep his mouth shut? Because the only thing that matters is getting people to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Listen, we've got to speak the gospel in the conflict of arena, uh, the arena of conflict. We've got to share our lives. You ain't reaching anybody on a high horse. Get in the ditch. And the last thing you've got to do is you've got to learn to settle lightly. Not everything's worth fighting about, church. Not everything's worth getting all upset about. There's only one thing that matters. And that's Jesus. And when we get sidetracked from that, we're just going to be a burden to people around us. Our mission statement is really simple, right? We want to make it hard for people to go to hell. Where do we get that from? We get that from Acts 15, 19 that said this, we will not trouble those who are trying to turn to God from the lost. And every time we settle difficultly, man, listen, I don't care if it's politics, if it's medicine and vaccine and mass, ain't none of that saving a soul. What will save your soul, what will save your student's soul, what will save your friend's soul, what will save your children's soul, your enemy's soul, your co-worker's soul, your friend's, it's Jesus. Vaccine ain't going to save you. Mask ain't going to save you. The right president ain't going to save you. Jesus will save you. Let's make that our constant mission, not just as a church, but as individuals as well. And let's do it by making sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Thessalonica. What an amazing church. We are in a fight, man. You've made it clear. This is an arena. There's people who've, who've walked through the fire, been in the fight, and they're now in the stands cheering us on. It's our turn. You told Esther, you've been called for such a time as this. This is our time. You've given us this moment and this season. You've given us this life. And this is our moment, God. So use us. But man, God, help us to stay focused on the priorities. Help us to not get caught up in the noise and the chatter and the conversation of the world. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. So God, I pray for the parents in here, the grandparents. I pray for the students, the youth partners. I pray for our pastors and leaders. I pray for our mothers and our daughters and our sons. I pray for grandmas and grandpas. God, I pray that we'll stay focused on the only thing that matters. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death and his burial and his resurrection and ascension to heaven. And us now awaiting his return. And making sure that in the gap between those two spaces and those two moments. That we're doing everything we can. To make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Thanks students for being here.